Good morning. So we've been talking about the Sabbath and, and the joy and the beauty of, of what that means, both in the celebration of what we do here on Sundays as, as our time of gathering together, um, the body come together in fellowship, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, you know, all of that. Um, I really love the fact that Matt talked about the fact that, um, that really when we, when we kind of parse it all out, Sabbath is all the time. We're going we're to kind of jump into that today. And we're gonna, um, the, the, the affectionate title is The Joy of Sabbath. Um, how many of you have been enjoying summer vacation? Let's try that one more time. How many of you have been enjoying summer vacation? There are a lot of, should be a lot of younger hands going up because it is, school is out for the summer. Well, school... How many of you that are out of school are reading tons and tons of books every day, working on 50 to 60 math problems, um, writing poetry, doing book reports just for fun, right? Did anybody ever do book reports just for fun as a kid growing up? Gina, does that surprise anyone in here? So, you know, it, it's great. It's summer vacation. Um, I'm actually getting to enjoy a little bit of a three-week break because I'm doing the summer learning camp for Crestview Elementary. So we had two weeks of a, of a summer learning camp. Um, so it is nice to take a break and rest. And um, Scripture talks about that the Sabbath, there, there's, an, there's a, a synonymous viewpoint of, of that rest and what that looks like. So today, we're going to kind of um, dig in on the back half of the message today out of Hebrews 4, okay? But what I wanted to do today, um, before all of that on the front side, is give some passages that, that kind of give us an understanding of the joy and what that looks like and um, really where that comes from. So what does the word joy mean? I'm actually looking at my phone because about three minutes ago, my daughter sent um, a text saying, Happy Father's Day, I'll call you later. And I sent her a text and said it would have been hilarious had you called me while I was up here because I'd have answered it. And then I would have put it on speakerphone. And she said, that is my worst case scenario of being on the phone in front of a group of people. So I would have just totally got her. So don't tell her that I just did that. But anyway, what does the word joy mean? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. What is joy? They're, they're not necessarily like you're going to get in trouble if you spout something out that you think is, is, is not right. You're also not going to have to stay in on recess. What is joy? Ooh, Quiet. I'm sorry, it is a fruit. It is, it, is the, it is one of the evidences of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that, that we are joyful, right? What, how would we define the word joy? Beyond happiness, I like it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Two, two interesting adjectives. Bigger, it is bigger, and it is Deeper. I kind of I like that. kind of like that. Um, in Strong's definition, which Strong has a definition. I didn't know if you knew that, but sounds sounds intelligent, doesn't it? It's one of the, one of the uh, Greek um, lexicons that, that give definitions of words. And, and this is what he says. So the word joy is a cheerfulness and a delight. But listen to what he says about this. I, I thought this was really interesting. Cheerfulness, that is calm. Did you catch that? It's not giddy with excitement. It's not, let's throw a big party and, and go cray-cray, which there's time for that and have a great time and, and run all over the place. But it is, it is bigger and deeper than just happiness. Happiness. 
it is an exceeding gladness or delight that is calm. I thought that was very interesting. So, so when we, and, and, and that was taken out of uh, Galatians 5, um, 22 and 23, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, which is what Rob had mentioned. So as we jump into this, we're going we're to take, take an interesting turn and, and understand that there is a joy in the Sabbath. And we're going to break apart what that kind of looks like today. So one of the places I want us to go to, if you, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me. This is an odd verse, but go with me to Romans chapter 14. We're going to jump in right there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. How many of you got all excited when he mentioned Romans chapter 8 today? It's such a great passage. Romans 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Whoo, good stuff, right? Good, good stuff. Um, but turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Passage about causing... Do not cause others to stumble, starting at verse 13. And therefore, let us not pass judgment on, on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of the brother. I know I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So, so here's Paul kind of, kind of blowing away the, the pharisaical religious tradition of some of these things that were put upon the Jews at the time. For I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. There's an interesting evidence of what? The fruit of the Spirit. So, so what you may find yourself, and you can always, whenever we talk fruit, you can, you can, you can hammer in on Galatians 5, starting at verse, verse 15 and 16, where it says, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we have that very, very clear black and white effect. Walking in the spirit will produce this. Walking in the flesh will produce this. So he goes on to say, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Now here's the kicker. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it is a matter of what? The kingdom of God, being part of the kingdom of God. Who we are, why we are, the way that we are as the body of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus talked about affectionately about in the book of Matthew. Matthew. Matthew brings all of this out about, about the kingdom of God is now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So, so he says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, which really is what? What I eat and what I drink is very much a self. It's a self thing. You, you see what I mean? I eat. Because I have to do that to live, but sometimes, how many of you eat things you probably shouldn't? But they're so good. They are so good. Dadgummit, you know something that's amazing? How many of you are Swedish fish fans? The bag of Swedish fish. Have you all ever had them? This, this is church stuff, super important. But they now have Swedish fish because they're red and they are an unknown flavor. Nobody knows what flavor they are, but they're amazing. And they're like great trip food. Like if you go on a trip, get those, they're great. But now they make a red, white, and blue. And I just got them. They're Swedish-American. Swedish-American, right? But anyway, so, 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 so the eating and the drinking is very much a, a flesh thing. But he says, but the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That, that exceeding gladness that is bigger and deeper and calm. 
because it is a connection back to my relationship with Jesus Christ. So keep that in the, in the front of your, in, in the front of your, your framework of your thinking that, that the whole of the kingdom is not about us. It's not about what we want, about what we get out of it, but it's about righteousness. It's, it's, about, it's about peace and it's about joy in the Holy Spirit. So, so Rob, thank you for pointing out, again, the evidence of the fruit in Galatians 5. That's the work of the Spirit in our lives. So there's flesh-led living and spirit-led living. So now turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 95. And as we do this, my, my challenge to you that I really would encourage you all to do is just remember whenever we do all of these, there is nine times out of ten great connectors where if, if, if it were me and I were you, and if you need my notes, email me and I'll give them to you. But, but I try in my, in, in my Bible to make sure that I'm cross-referencing so that, so that I get the whole of all of this, that we're not just kind of picking and choosing things here because it sounds good, makes us feel good, but we're, we're getting the whole counsel and, and, it, and it all working together. Psalm 95, starting at verse 6. This is a song of praise. O come, What's the command? Come. Don't gloss over that word. Oh, come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, the Lord our Maker. Why? Why? Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his lamb. Why do we do that? Because in order to come, we have to leave what? In order to come into the presence of God, what do we have to leave out? Everything that is flesh, everything that is self-derived, everything that, that would hinder us from coming. It is, it is a total act of humility to come in obedience. Does that make sense? As we come, we're coming in obedience. We're coming because we're worshiping. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in Meribah, as on the day at Manasseh in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and, and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, 40 years I loathed that generation and said... They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore, what? In my wrath, that they will not enter my rest. These people had chosen not to come. And the literal consequence is that wrath and you will not enter into my rest. Connect Psalm 95 to Psalm 23. Turn with me to Psalm 23. Remember how up in, in Psalm 96 it says... That we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his land. So Psalm 23. The Lord is my what? Shepherd. I shall not want. 
not that you mean you won't want the shepherd. It's the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. I am not left wanting. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There's another beautiful picture of surrender. I am at peace and at rest that I can lie down in his provision. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's another beautiful picture. That dwelling. That that continual being in the presence of God Almighty forever. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How long is forever? Isn't that kind of cool to think about? So the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So this kind of ties back to Romans. Because Galatians talks about whatever we eat, Whatever we drink, whatever we do, what? Do it all to the glory of God. The Westminster Catechism, I think is number one, says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy that exceeding deep delight and gladness that is calm in his presence forever. That was like smalls on um, the sandlot forever. We will enjoy his presence forever. No matter what comes at us, no matter where we are, no matter the difficulties that we face on this side of eternity, and folks, we are going to suffer. Y'all, this is not an easy world to live in right now. It's never been easy. It's not going to get easier. But we can dwell in his presence. And therefore, it's not about us so that we can glorify God. Whatever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, what you eat, your sweetest fish, whatever. Doesn't matter. So long as what we do, when we do, how we do it is to do nothing other than to glorify who? God. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pull that out a little bit here in just, a, in just a minute. But we can enjoy him forever. We can rest in that exceeding gladness that is calm. And, and I don't want to tip my cards for next week. So I'm going to hold that right there for next week. Y'all come because there is also something else in the Sabbath. you got to come next week. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to say the word. I want to real bad, but I'm not going to. Okay? But we can enjoy him forever. Exceeding, bigger than, and deeper than happiness that is calm. That exceeding gladness and delight that is calm forever. Wow. I hope that's encouraging to you. I hope... I hope that this morning, just as we've gotten the ball rolling here, that, that you are really excited about understanding that, that entering that rest that they did not get back in the Old Testament, their hard-heartedness, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fast forward, as it were, in, in a deeper understanding of what that looks like because of what Jesus Christ has done. Make sense? So hang on. We've got the kids' time coming up. Where are all the kids? Who's coming up? Who's coming up? Miss Julie, right, is teaching the lesson this morning. Um, so all of the kids, make your way up. We'll take a kids break and listen to Miss Julie. Oh, and hi, Chrissy, how are you? Hello. 
Good morning. You're hiding. <laughs> well, today is a wonderful day, and I'm so happy to be here with everybody. And I am so happy to celebrate Father's Day with all of our dads. Yeah. Well, today we're going to, um, Miss Julie's going to read us a story. It's out of the book of John, and it is about a, a man named Nicodemus. So Nicodemus was a teacher of the Jews. And he was a man who was very curious, and he liked to ask questions. Do you all like to ask questions? Mm, I do, too. I like to ask a lot of questions. Hey, you what? Oh, do you? <laughs> From the chosen? <laughs> well, you know, God wants us to ask him questions. He wants us to always seek the truth. And so in the story that Miss Julie's going to share... Nicodemus asked Jesus a very important question. So I want you to turn your listening ears on because when she's done, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Okay? All right. Like Miss Chrissy said, our story comes from John, John 3, 1 through 15. Now, there was a man of the Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God. No one could do the th signs that you do unless God was with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born if he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That was a great story. So, question one. Was it during the day or night that Nicodemus came to Jesus? Go ahead. Night. How did Nicodemus know Jesus was a son of God? Say it again, I'm sorry. Oh, because he worked miracles? That's right. What does someone need to do before he or she can be born again? Trust God, yeah. And believe that Jesus is the Son of God. <laughs> Nicodemus was not afraid to ask Jesus an important question. What important questions would you ask Jesus right now if you could? Go ahead. Are you the Son of God and how did you move the miracles? How did you move the miracles? Okay. What else would you ask Jesus? How do you what? Oh, you would give him a hug? I would too. Oh, Sawyer said he would pray? That's great. That is wonderful. Well, Miss Julie's going to go over our Bible verse for this for today. All right, so our memory verse. Daniel, when we get back in the back on our activity time, he's going to have some hand motions to help us remember it, and I can't remember what he came up with. But we're going to practice... In here, 
and then Daniel will help us practice more. So I'll say a few words, and then y'all repeat after me, okay? Whoever believes, Whoever believes in, the, in, the sun in the Son has eternal life. John 3.36. Good job, guys. All right. Well, that's our story. Now we're going to meet at the back, and we'll go to our classroom and do activity time. Yeah, three to kindergarten. Three years old to one's in kindergarten. Everybody did a good job. Thank you for that. Tozer wrote this. God never changes moods or cools off in his affections or loses his enthusiasm. His attitude towards sin is now the same as it was when he drove out sinful man from the eastward garden. And his attitude towards the sinner is the same as when he stretched forth his hands and cried, Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by the faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, this is Psalm 95, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, what a, what a wonderful, what a wonderful truth. His works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day. What day? Today. Saying, through David, so long afterward, The words already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's that beauty of of us stepping away from all that we have, all that we do, all that we think, and coming into his presence. Let us therefore, listen to this, let us therefore strive to enter rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his light, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I want to read some notes to you. If Joshua had given them rest, one can only conceivably argue that the rest that the Exodus generation sought was their entrance into the promised land. However, that entrance occurred in the days of Joshua in Psalm 95 with this promise of today 
entering into God's rest is subsequent to Joshua's day. Therefore, check this out. The Sabbath rest remains possible for God's people to enter even now in this life. The promise of entering now into this rest means, and this is interesting, check this out. The spiritual strivings that, re- that reflect uncertainty about one's final destiny. Did you catch that? The promise of entering now into that rest means ceasing from the spiritual strivings, the work that I'm trying to do to, to, to figure out my salvation. What road can I take? Can I take this road to get to, 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 to have eternity? Can I take this road? Can I take this road? Can I do this? Can I do that? If I, if I act this way, is that good enough? That reflect the uncertainty about one's final destiny. It means, check this out, it means enjoyment of being established in the presence of God to share in the everlasting joy that God entered when he rested on the seventh day. Let me read that again. It means the enjoyment of being established in the presence of God. The Sabbath is not only representative in what, in what God did on the seventh day, the Sabbath, but it's also the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, whereby... The enjoyment of being established in the presence of God to share in the everlasting joy. The everlasting joy becomes because of what? How does the everlasting joy come? It comes from the work of Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus call himself? He said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Matthew 11, 28. But he says in John chapter 10 verse 11. I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So the connection back to Psalm, Psalm 95, the the connection back to Psalm 23 is that the good shepherd has done what he had to do, fulfilling the promise of the Messiah, so that we could come and enter into that Sabbath, enter into that rest. And so listen to this. It means the enjoyment of being established in the presence of God and to what? And to share in the everlasting joy, that deeper than, bigger than happiness. It is that exceeding gladness with calm in the presence of of God Almighty forever and forever and forever and forever. The word rest means a resting place in in talking about this, and listen to this definition. It is the heavenly blessedness in which God dwells and of which he has promised to make persevering believers in Christ partakers after the toils and trials of this life are ended. That is the rest that we experience because of Jesus Christ. And we've been called to enter into that. So there is a um, passage, a a, a little devotional that I found um, by Sinclair Ferguson called the Sabbath rest. So I'm going to break apart some of these things because he actually basically, this is a commentary on this passage. So let me read a couple things to you. In speaking of this rest, the author consistently used the same word rest, that catapusis, okay? Suddenly in speaking about the rest that remains for the people of God, he uses a different word and that is the Sabbath rest. And in this context of his teaching, this refers fundamentally to Fundamentally to the Sabbath rest, which is found where? In Christ. What does Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 say? Come to me, all you are who are burdened, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
And I've always found that passage so interesting. Because what did, it, what did, what did Christ demand of us to do? There was a command there. After you come to me, you're, you're offloading all of the junk on your life, right? Because you're heavy laden and burdened, so you're burdened down with, with this life. But then what does he say to do? Take my yoke. Do you, do you, know, do you understand that, that, that word play picture there? You are coming under the obedience of Christ. How many of you, let's see, there, there's just a few of us young men here. How many of you ever saw somebody in, personally watching them plow with, with um, a team of mules or a team of, of oxen? As one guy plowing, he had, had, a, had a single plow and digging into the earth, and the oxen were, were headed down through the path. One, would, one, one of the oxen would always be in the freshly turned up, and the other one would always be in, in that w- which was not turned up. Can everybody get that word picture in their head? That word play? Those oxen were under the command and the authority of whom? The plowman, right? And Jesus said, take my yoke upon me and learn of me. So it wasn't just, hey, come to me and just, it's all good. No, it was come to me and, and enter into my work, enter into my obedience, enter into my authority. And that is the beauty of that rest. It wasn't that we just go, uh, we can just do nothing now. Church, we don't get to just sit back and do nothing and go, huh, we're allowed to rest. Bible says so. Mm-mm. But taking his, his yoke, his, his authority, and, and, and coming under that authority is that beautiful picture because he is in control. Looking for my glasses. It's getting bad when you have to look for glasses all the time. How many of you have reading glasses all over the place? You have more than one pair and you have them in strategic locations. This is supposedly like one of my strategic locations and when I'm at school, I'll go, and the kids all go. So I'd set them down, and I stressed for just a second, because I'm like, I don't know where they went. So anyway, it goes on to say this then. So we will, we will therefore strive to enter that rest. This context, listen to this, helps us understand the significance of the fourth commandment. It was given to fallen man. This is why it says, you shall not. He was not to work, but to rest externally. So in talking about the, the, the day of the Sabbath, okay, which we get to enjoy as, as the body. And I, and I really, really encourage all of us to really take a high value of this community of faith coming together to worship and celebrate and be part of that Sabbath. But listen to what he says. That is why it says, you shall not. But this is what he says. He was not to work but to rest. Externally, that meant ceasing from the ordinary tasks in order to meet with God. So we are actually, as the body, setting aside a special time with intentionality to come. And to worship and to celebrate and to enjoy. But this is what he also says. Internally internally entering into that sabbath rest it meant internally it involved ceasing from all self sufficiently sufficiency in order to rest in god's grace there's an external of saying let's come together and sabbath let's come together and worship let's come together and enjoy the rest of being in the presence of god externally and ceasing from the toils but it's that internal how many of you feel like nine times out of ten you try really hard to accomplish everything on your own i i'm i'm very much that way 
And, and it, is, it is difficult for me to admit that because I try to act like the person who's pretty laid back, like not much gets to him. But inwardly, I'm, I'm kind of a control freak. And I don't like things not working out the way I expect them to work out. And I will work really, really hard behind the scenes or struggle internally to get it done and to get it right. Does that make sense? And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. In the book of Nehemiah, there's, there's a passage in Nehemiah, and i got to look it up here real quick. I think it's Nehemiah 8. It is Nehemiah 8, where, where the, the law is read. So you have Ezra and Nehemiah, and, and the law is being read. And as the law is being read, it literally guts the people. As they read the law, and as Ezra and Nehemiah explained what was going on and, and took the time to teach this, the people were gutted. And one of the things that he said, that Ezra said to the people is, you've got, you've got to stop. You've got to come now and celebrate. You've got to come and you have to be excited. Check this out. It says, the people are to be joyful. This was the context of, of Nehemiah 9 through 12. People are to be joyful. Though sorrow for sin was a positive response and they were gutted because they, it was revealed to them their disobedience. It was revealed to them their sin. And they were gutted by the word. But he said this, joy, therefore, at the renewed relationship with God was, was this ultimate teaching purpose. And so he said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many of us try to do it on our own? Where should we find our strength? In the joy of the Lord. So check that out. Think this through. Long ago, was this a Maranatha song? The joy of the Lord is my strength. And you're like, okay, what's the next verse? Or what's the next line? The joy of the Lord is my strength. One more time. I'm not going high, so I'm not going to do it. But it keeps repeating, and I was like, boy, that, that's, a, that's a great song to memorize because it's just a simple truth. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I can't do it on my own. Psalm says, he is my strength and my song. Or, or Isaiah says, he is my strength and my song. Can you sing a song and really be in a bad mood? Can you sing most songs and really be in a bad mood? The joy of the Lord is my strength. He's wanting us to come into that Sabbath, that rest, that relationship, that rest, because there is joy in that. And the irony is, is that the calmness, the rest that is found is the joy and enjoying him forever. And there is our strength. Because why? He is the shepherd. He is the provider. He is the one. It's not me. I can't do it. I can't make it. I can't get this right on my own. And so when, when, when Ezra says to them, the joy of the Lord is your strength, get rid of the shame, get rid of the hurt, get rid of the past, and come into his presence. And in his obedience, and that's why he said back in Psalm 95, they could, not enter the, they could not enter my rest. My wrath was upon them because they chose to be disobedient and not listen. So now Hebrews is bringing all of this back out again when he says, now you can enter into this rest. Let us strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The work that Jesus Christ has done has made it possible for us to enter into that rest. He's made it possible to come together now in obedience, in coming to Christ. Come to me all who are weary, who are labored, who are burdened, and I will give you rest. But the condition is coming 
Jesus made the way. Amen? There is no way, no how, nothing that I could ever do in my own strength that could ever merit salvation. I'm dead. There is nothing good in me. I am dead in my sin, dead in my trespasses. And Jesus made us alive. And he said, come and enter into that Sabbath rest. So this context helps us here. says, considering this, what difference did the coming of Jesus make on the Sabbath day? In Christ, crucified and risen, we find eternal rest. And we are restored to communion with God. Matthew, 25, Matthew 11, 25 through 30. The lost treasures of the Sabbath were restored. We rest in Christ from our labor of self-sufficiency. And we have access to the Father. Ephesians 2, 18. As we meet with him, he shows us himself, his ways, his world, his purposes, his glory. And whatever was... Whatever was temporary about the Mosaic Sabbath must be left behind as the reality of the intimate communion of the Adamic Sabbath is again experienced in our worship of the risen Savior on the first day of the week. What a beautiful picture. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, we enter into that Sabbath. We enter into that rest And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Talking about we strive to enter that rest, Hebrews 4, 11. We have not yet reached the goal. We will struggle to rest from our labors. Do we still struggle? How many of you still struggle in in our walks daily? I do. You know why I continue to struggle in my walk daily? Because I continue to try to do my walk on my own. I think I've got it all together. I think I've read enough Bible verses. I think I've listened to enough really good messages. And I start to try to do this on my own. And he keeps saying, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. Consequently, the weekly nature of the Sabbath continues as a reminder that we are not yet home with the Father. And since this rest is ours only through the union with Christ in his death and resurrections, our struggles to refuse the old life and enjoy the new will continue. I hope that this has given us a a, a, a better picture of the Sabbath. Listen to what he says here at the end. This view of the Lord's day helps us to see as a foretaste of heaven how many of you are familiar with the great hymn of the faith blessed assurance blessed assurance jesus is mine oh what a foretaste of glory divine listen to the last verse perfect submission come got it perfect submission Come to me, take my yoke upon me. That's the picture here. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my self-sufficiency, I in my righteousness, in my holiness, I in my Savior am happy and blessed. Doing what? Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. The joy of the Sabbath is ours because of Jesus Christ. Final thing, Hebrews teaches us that eternal glory is a Sabbath rest. Every day, all day, will be Father's Day. Thus, if here and now we learn the pleasures of a God-given weekly rhythm, it will no longer seem strange to us that the eternal glory can be described as prolonged Sabbath. Because I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen?
watching and waiting, looking above. Oh, amen. The joy of Sabbath rest. Would you stand with me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Savior, Jesus Christ. The good shepherd who laid down his life that we as your sheep can enter into rest and enjoy that relationship. Can enjoy knowing that in the midst of everything going on right now, we have rest in your presence. And that Sabbath rest is a prolonged rest for all of eternity. And we look forward to that. But even now as we look forward to that, we've got to put ourselves aside. We've got to put our hope, our trust in you that the joy of the Lord is our strength. May we as a church rest in your presence. May we as a church take upon your strength because the joy that comes from being in that relationship. And may we Take upon your your yoke and learn of you and be obedient to what it is that you've called us to do. And may everything that we do glorify and point to Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, the head of the church. And may we as a result enjoy you forever. All this we ask in the powerful, holy wonderful name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go connecting communities, changing lives with the hope, love, and truth of Jesus Christ. Amen.